Good evening, Patriots. And it's Monday, January 2nd in the year 2023, which is pretty cool because now we're into the crazy year. Saw a thing today. If you take 2021, 2022, 2023, you add up the, not the zeros, obviously, but the numbers, you end up with 666. Huh. I'm sure there's nothing to that. I'm sure we're just going to have a normal, peaceful year. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And that's the case. Make sure you are well stocked up. Are you prepared if the worst suddenly happens? I'm talking about nationwide food shortages on a massive scale. Once the public panics, forget about grocery stores. They'll be stripped bare within hours. You simply won't be able to buy food anywhere at any price. That means you need a solid stockpile of emergency food. Right now, you can visit preparewithbards.com to save $200 on a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest preparedness company. This kit is packed with delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks. Enough to feed one person for three whole months. Like a fire extinguisher, you'll be glad you have this kit when you need it. Go to preparewithbards.com to get this special $200 discount. These kits are in stock and you won't pay for shipping. It's free. Your order will arrive quickly in unmarked boxes for your privacy. Don't wait another day. Time is not on our side. Go to preparewithbards.com right now. Preparewithbards.com. There's no better way to start the new year than to ensure that you are prepped. Again, go to preparewithbards.com right now. Oh, yeah. Check out that preparewithbards.com and you'll see all those links below the podcast. So tonight we're going to dig into Obadiah. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament. And I think there's a real profound message in here and it's really centered around Obadiah verse four, which is when we're reminded, though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. It's a real reminder of where our loftiness and arrogance can go. So what I want to do tonight to start is to play a piece on an overview of Obadiah by the Bible Project, which I just think is outstanding. So here we go. The book of the prophet Obadiah. This is the shortest book in the whole Old Testament. It's a mere 21 verses. And at first glance, it does not look very promising. It's a series of divine judgment poems against the ancient people of Edom, which was a nation that neighbored Israel on the other side of the Dead Sea. However, there is way, way more going on here. So first, here's the backstory. The people of Edom were unique because they had a shared ancestry with the Israelites. They both belonged to the family of Abraham, who, with Sarah had their son Isaac, who with his wife Rebecca had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now the book of Genesis told us the story of these two brothers, and to say the very least, they had a tense relationship. They each later received the names Israel and Edom, which eventually became the name of the families that descended from them. And these families replayed the same difficult relationship of their ancestors. Israel and Edom had enormous tensions throughout the centuries, but they still shared that family bond. 
And it's that bond that was betrayed and shattered in the tragic events of Jerusalem's fall to Babylon. So when Israel was invaded and conquered by Babylon, the people of Edom took advantage by plundering other Israelite cities and then capturing and even killing Israelite refugees. Now, in other prophetic books, God held Israel's neighbors accountable for this kind of violence. And so here, Obadiah does the same for Edom. The short book has two halves. The first part is a series of accusations against the leaders of Edom, specifically for their pride and self-exaltation. Literally, as they lived up high in the desert rocks, but also metaphorically, they truly believed they were superior to the Israelites. And it's that pride that led the Edomites to not just stand idly by when Babylon came to destroy Jerusalem, but actually to participate in the destruction. And so God says through Obadiah that Edom will be brought down from their height and destroyed. As they have done to Israel, so it will be done to them. Now, right when you think you're going to hear more about how Edom will meet its doom, the topic suddenly shifts in verse 15. We hear this, the day of the Lord is near against all nations. Now, why do we all of a sudden shift from Edom now to all nations? This first is a hinge piece, and it links the first half of the book to the second half, where Obadiah announces the day of the Lord, but not only for Edom. He widens his focus to include all nations. And Obadiah says that all prideful nations that act like Edom will face God's justice in the same way. They'll fall from their prideful heights and come to ruin. Now, the combination of these two sections, one about Edom, the other about all nations, shows us why Obadiah was so interested in this tiny southern neighbor of Israel. Obadiah sees Edom's pride and fall as an example, an image of how God will one day confront the pride of all nations and bring about their fall too. It's hardly coincidental that in Hebrew, the word Edom or Edom is spelled with the exact same letters as the word humanity or in Hebrew, Adam. In Obadiah, Edom's rise and fall is a parable of how God's justice will one day oppose pride and violence among all nations in the day of the Lord. But as in all the prophets, God's judgment is never his final word. Specifically, remember the conclusion of the two books that came right before Obadiah, Joel and Amos. Joel had painted a picture of what will happen after the day of the Lord against all nations. He said that God would perform a new act of salvation in Jerusalem and that all who humbled themselves and called upon him would be delivered. And in the conclusion of Amos, he said that after the day of the Lord has judged Israel's evil, God would raise up the house of David and build a new kingdom for Israel that would include Edom and all the nations called by my name. And so the book of Obadiah has been placed right after Joel and then Amos to expand on these very promises about the hope of God's kingdom over all of the nations. And so the book concludes with a very hopeful future. God says he's going to restore his kingdom over the new Jerusalem, that he'll repopulate it with a faithful remnant. And then from there, God's kingdom will expand to include all the territory and nations around Israel. And so this little book contributes to the larger portrait of God's justice and faithfulness that we're seeing in the prophets. The ancient pride and betrayal of the people of Edom becomes an example of the greater human condition, all of the ways that we betray and hurt each other and God's good world. But there's hope, Obadiah says. Edom's downfall points to the day when God will deal with evil in our world, but also bring his healing kingdom of peace over all the nations. And that's what the book of Obadiah is all about. 
Pretty good overview. I, I don't know if you know the Bible Project, but they're an outstanding project. Of all places, they're based in Portland, Oregon. In fact, they're across the river, <laughs> or Antifa's stronghold is, in downtown. So it's kind of interesting. They're a, a donations-only group. They started as a Kickstarter program, I believe. And... Um, They've grown to 3.4 million subscribers on YouTube, which is pretty profound. And they've been going for about six years. So, dealing with pride, we're going to kind of dig into the actual script of Obadiah. We're going to read through the book and talk a little bit about how all this relates to today. So, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, "Arise and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among nations; you are greatly despised." The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high, though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night Oh, how you would be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasures searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men of Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Timon, so that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will cut off and you will be cut off forever on the day that you stood aloof on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem. You too were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over the calamity in the day of, of their disaster and do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. That's the first half of the short book. There is so much in there about our position even in today. 
when we're dealing with where we stand in a nation that's heavily divided, there are many that gloat in the idea of someone suffering a wisdom and a pain, or I should say suffering a pain from the vax. And it doesn't necessarily come forward in a normal way. If you find somebody who's hesitant to pray and you explore it, and I mean pray for somebody who's suffering a consequence of a vax, you're probably going to discover that there's a part of them that's happy that they're suffering it. And they're doing so because they're finding solace in the idea that they didn't listen to me or they hurt me or they were part of the problem. And so now they're getting their just desserts. They're getting punished. God's reminding us over and over that that's not our role. We're supposed to be walking in this world with a forgiving and loving heart. And that's not an easy place. I'm not even going to start to say that that's always easy. And we've talked a lot about that forgiving and loving heart in many different forms over the last couple of months. But in this short book, we're reminded that there's a real consequence for that. That those that even stood by and watched or suddenly decided to join in in the ransacking of another, at another's misfortune, they're punished. And so really, as we walk in this place as remnant, or however you want to see yourself, we have a, a responsibility to Father to be walking as Christ would walk, which was constantly with a loving and forgiving heart. And as we've talked about so often here, that doesn't mean you're giving away accountability or justice. But in fact, what we see here is those that jump in on that ransacking because they were dissatisfied and someone else was doing the fighting, so they were opportunists taking advantage of another person's poor stance or position in life or even their own disaster. They become as guilty as those that initiated the attack. And it's something to weigh fairly heavy on, especially when we're dealing with so many issues right now with a divided nation. I think that's saying, and it's difficult for us to do, because as we sit over on this side and we're saying, okay, we're walking with Jesus and they aren't, and they're doing some heinous issues between pushing vaxes on children or trying to get children to mutilate themselves with a gender flip. We can't be walking into those spaces, one, with a vengeful heart, but two, we can't be seeking that place where we're trying to pile on vengeance or take advantage of someone else's weakness. There is a purity and justice that is very hard in this world to appreciate because this world is so messed up. We're a world that's so t- turned upside down that justice is always for those that promote the crime and the real and the actual hand of justice comes down on those that don't do much crime at all. But we're going to be we're being pushed into this place of having to walk on a higher order. And that isn't to say that you're walking away from the justice that needs to be delivered, nor is it say you're condoning the action. 
but from the reason and approach that we make to the problem, we have to enter into it with, without the desires to be opportunistic at the moment, to take advantage of someone else's ill will or their own place of disaster. I think that becomes very clear. So we're reminded there is a nation as well where we've sat as a nation. And in this, we go back to the questions that come up at the beginning of this passage. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You will live in the clefts of the rock. You who live in the clefts of the rock in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring down, who will bring me down to earth? As a nation, we've lived there. Proudfully, boastfully, we proclaim ourselves to be the greatest place on earth, the most freedom on earth, because we have these amazing documents. And yet we didn't do anything as a nation to steward their success. We have amazing documents that establish God on the throne. And yet God's nowhere near the throne. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find God in any public institution in this nation. And that's a real challenge for us to reflect on and a real responsibility for us to fix. We're at such a place right now in a nation that there's a lot of questions and concerns about the future of our country. And I, I guess, you know, from my position is that while I don't want to walk in this sort of ill will of a nation, and I don't want to be suffering consequences of other people's sin, if you will. Nonetheless, nations will be judged. And we are going to be judged as a nation for all that we've done or not done. Now, right now, in this place that we're at as a nation, we have not been accountable in our lives to God. And so we are sitting here in many ways nervous or anxiety. It's not, not everybody. I'm just saying that some people are nervous or with anxiety, wondering, like, what's going to happen? Is it going to be that bad? Many people are in denial. It's like, no, it can't be that bad. Other people are angry, like, they did this to me. Other people are in bargaining mode. These five steps of grief I've told you about. Where they're like, yeah, it really can't be that bad. It's everything. One, it is that bad. It's worse. The situation is worse than most can comprehend. Where we sit right now in this nation and in this world. Anger, when we talk about they did this to us, I'd argue that we did it to ourselves. And though that's an easier thing said than it is to execute because we can definitely see that they have an upper hand, we went through generations of not questioning anything of being happy to live just for that extra level of debt and that new credit score, the new car that we couldn't afford or the house that was that had extra bedrooms and a bigger place that we could hardly pay for. We looked forward to that. We, we took on debts, which was enslavement, and celebrated and then expected there not to be a cost for it. We wanted stuff for free. And we wanted those securities in various forms They would guarantee us certain 
things in our future or certain things in our present. We take off, take out life insurance to wager a bet on how long we're going to live with the anticipation that if we die before we get to a certain age, we get a big payout and everybody wins in the family financially. We take bets on if we're going to be disabled or not by taking out disability insurance. We take bets on our health, gauging whether we're going to be in good health or bad health, and then waiting a, a medical insurance to bet that. And in that, there's not a single discussion of our relationship with God. Not one. There's no faith in God. There's no trust in God that he will deliver. There's no putting ourselves in the walk with God to guide us in this life as he will bring. It, we're always waging a bet and a, and a gamble with the, this overlord which is the institutions of men. And that's the life we've lived. So we arrive at a point right now when the nation is literally stripping away openly everything that we claim is ours. None of it's ours. It was actually God's. We were to steward it. And everything that they take, they're actually stealing from God, but they're stealing from God because we failed. Think about that. Our duty was to protect and to expand what God had and steward it well. The parable of the talents. And yet we didn't do our job. Like the young man that dug it, buried it in the ground and came back and said, well, I knew you were, you were, you know, you were one that was concerned about loss. So I'm just, I just buried mine in the ground. And it was literally the answer was get out, get out. You loathly servant. Our job here is is so much greater. And as Dominion, when we have taken these contracts with these people and we've accepted their terms and we've given away our sovereignty and our rights and then we end up in a place where suddenly our nation is faced with judgment. Thou you, though you build high like eagle, though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the war, Lord. Wow. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And it's humbling to realize that we could and very well may face and likely will face something of that nature. That doesn't put mean that we're going to be living in misery, but I think that we have to get realistic about the state of what the nation needs to accomplish. Because part of that is we have to get to a place where as a nation, we're humbling ourselves before Father God. We're seeking repentance for the sins of a nation. You know, it's interesting because in the point leading up to the flood, that's that backstory is that the sons of God had bargained and made a deal with the offspring of the fallen, the Nephilim. And they were worshiping the, the offspring of the, of, the, of the fallen like gods, and that's where we see the rise of Baal and worship, until things got so bad that the Nephilim were eating the people. And they finally fell to their knees and began calling out to heaven and asking for help and mercy. 
and God delivered, but not the way they probably expected it because he wiped out a whole bunch. But we really have to get very real about our responsibility in this walk and realize that we have a profound moment in history to be not only praying and to be doing big words because it's a it's not just prayer and someone asked me the other day it's like well you know if you, if everyone prays is it is are things just going to you know like is the vote going to suddenly get better and it's like no because there's faith and works in this piece in this actions that we're doing there's prayers that establish our call to heaven and our action in which God works through us in delivering that justice but we've become very soft and so much of that is the teachings in the pulpit in the modern day that at each turn is cast away or pushed out those things that would make us mighty men and women of God and it's a, a, a hesitation to step into the ring which is where we need to be we need to be in the ring we need to be getting roughed up. Sometimes you're going to win a match. Sometimes you're going to lose. But if enough people are in the ring and we're constantly getting that experience, we're always going to come out on top when it comes to humanity. But all of that's going to center on a relationship with God and our willingness to step in, step up, and not pull back. Remember, we keep these certain frictions. You just take, for example, abortion, or you take the gender confusion issues. A number of churches that are embracing transgender and the way they pitch this is like, or, you know, gay or lesbian. It's like, well, God created them. So we have to embrace them as God's children. It's like, yeah, he created them all right. He created them as a man or a woman. And with the purpose of staying a man or a woman and then partnering with the opposite. And so everything along their path, and this, this t- totally gets under the skin of anybody that is gay, but too bad. It's a choice. And they'll tell you, I, I, I don't have a choice. I never had a choice. I was gay. Yeah, you did. And maybe your structure around you encouraged you to go one way or another. But you did have a choice. Everyone has a choice. doesn't mean choices are easy either. But the way they paint it out is like a person, as an example, a person that is gay. They paint this out as though they are as committed. It's just like saying instead of gay, you replace murderer. And, I, and follow me here. Because being gay is not a normal action of a human being. Murdering another person for joy is not a normal action in a human being. So if we say, like, I, I, I was, I've been gay my whole life, I couldn't control it, I just who I am, then the murderer then has the right to say, I, 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 my whole life I wanted to cut people up and eat their heart, as an example. I, I couldn't control it, that's who I am. See, that's the whole basis and why this is important is because this is the root of thou shall do what thou wilt. That is the whole root of everything that's non-based on the kingdom. 
And it's the root of the progressive movement. It's the root of Satan's will. To where there is no, there's this constant plurality of options. And so there's no accountability. And so we build arrogance in a society. We sit in our lofty houses and up on the hill and we say, who, who will bring us down? And then suddenly we start looking around and we're like, oh, like the economy's falling apart. Oh, people are dying for no cause. I wonder what that's about. Oh, I can't buy the groceries I used to buy. Oh, the gas costs have gone up. And so then we manufacture these lies. If you're sitting on the progressive side, you're going to blame Trump. Everything is Trump's fault because we did everything we could and we, we brought in Biden and he's going to do better for us. And if you're on our side or on the side of conservative side, I should say, not our side, then you're going to blame them. You're going to, it's, it's, it's all Biden's fault. He's doing this. Now, this is a system that's designed to play those games, to swing back and forth. And we have always a choice. And as we're pointing the finger out and we're watching the system collapse, I think the big question would everyone should be asked by God. I'm not speaking for God, but I would be interested to hear the question, the answer to the question, which would be, okay, there was, we'll just use a number, there were 10 million of them and there were 320 million of you. What did you do to fix it? I gave you the numbers. And the answer is rather humbling. Because at the end of the day, we let it happen as a people. And we don't like to think that way. We like to think individually. So let's finish out this last part of Obadiah, starting at 15. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations as you have done. It will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be a stubble and they will set them on fire and consume them so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. Then those of Negev will possess the mountain of Esau and those of Shephelah, the Philistine plain, also possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samurai. And Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of the host of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are on Sephard will possess the cities of Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Sion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. It's really interesting when you just think about the cost. There's an expense 
ledger we just went through. And it was those who obeyed and those who took advantage. Those that stayed loyal and endured versus those that pillaged and profited off the misery of others. I've met people during this process, this last three years, who built whole businesses and built a lot of money in their businesses doing COVID testing. I would not want to be standing before Father God on that judgment. And so this is the this walk that we make truly has to be a humbling walk to be reminded of where we are and what consequences are. So that brings me actually to Habakkuk 3. And as we get to Habakkuk 3, specifically Habakkuk 3.16, we're at this place where Habakkuk now has challenged Father God. God's given him this vision of when the Babylonians are going to sack Israel. And he's like, what, what are you doing? Like, I thought you were a loving God. And he then gets to see the world as God sees the world. And he sees it from these, these level of optics that, is, that we just don't possess. Because we're always so centered on what's going to happen to me. And in this process, he's shown that it's, it's necessary for God to bring everybody back and to sort out those who are truly evil and those who are not. He's going to have to let Israel be sacked because it works for the benefit of the bigger, bigger mission, the bigger strategic vision, which Habakkuk doesn't possess, but God gives him a glimpse of it. And it shows a, a great deal of suffering. And Habakkuk then comes to the understanding at the very end, in Habakkuk, beginning in Habakkuk 3.16. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. That's right where we are right now. Because we've witnessed all of this, and we're now sitting quietly in our, in our hearts. For the people to arise, I must sit quietly in the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. In our case, that invasion is happening from within. It's been happening from within. And we have watched this quietly on the side to see a country torn and shattered in the last three years, ripped to shreds. And before that, with the four years of President Trump, we saw a country thrown into riotous turmoil. And all of that, as we've sat here and we've discovered something profound, and it's what Habakkuk is, and I would argue we found out what exactly what Habakkuk found. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made me feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high, on my high places. It has taken the struggles that we've had 
for us to come back to a realization, at least I would argue, that we are at a place where we're finally starting to understand the true reason and purpose and value in this world. And it has nothing to do with our things. It doesn't have anything to do with our bank balance, our investment accounts, our property. Because finally, I think we're beginning to turn a corner or we're starting to realize that all of this stuff is just stuff. In fact, it's worse. It's anchors. And so as we look at a nation and we realize that we were all at one point or another part of this prideful position of a nation, and many still are, many are still gleaning with this idea that the economy is going to do better and look at how much free stuff I got. That's another great one, opportunistic. There's people that have decided still not to work because it's easier not to work so they can get free money as if there's no cost to that and if there was no opportunism exploited on that. Somebody is having to pay for it. And in the price of this, the price now and during this climate of this COVID climate, that price is blood. That money was made available to shape people to influence people not to work, not to do a good service. So there's a lot of accountability in a nation right now. And as a people and as a humanity, we're in the same boat. Across the world, nations and people are being judged. And I feel personally that, I mean, the the greatest message in all that rests within Habakkuk 3 where we just read 16 to 19, where truly the only understanding we should be arriving at is that in spite of everything, as we wait quietly for this world to fall apart, which he refers to as the day of distress. And he's looking at it in terms of an invasion, and we're looking here going, okay, what's the next thing in the playbook? Are they going to collapse the economy? Am I going to lose my savings? Am I going to have, is there going to be no food in the store? Are they going to shut the internet off? Are they going to do an EMP and blank all the electronics? Are we going to be invaded by an army? Is there going to be a nuclear war? I mean, I could go on the list of things. And we've consumed ourselves with these things. And it's one of the most important places I think we need to be entering into 2023, which is where Habakkuk arrives that I will rejoice in God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, regardless of anything else. And it doesn't take away our dutiful responsibility with God to be wise, to prepare, to do as Joseph did in a, in a metaphorical sense, to fill the silos. It doesn't take away the fact that we should be good stewards of what we're given and prepare as best we can. Because that's part of living in the world. But the biggest thing is where we place our heart and our anxiety. If we're going to sit in that lofty place, like Obadiah was was referring to, whereas we sit on that hill and we say, ah, look at me, I've got so many preps and you can't touch me and I'm going to be fine and you all are going to suffer. Or if we're going to sit up on that on that hill and we're going to say, I didn't take the vax, you did, and you're going to suffer, na 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 there is a heavy hand of justice that will be levied, in my opinion. I don't think there's any question. I think it's scriptural. It just shows you've taken advantage. You're positioning yourself to be above others at their 
disaster. And that's a positioning that God does not tolerate because that's not humble. It lacks any form of humility. It's all arrogance in me. And unfortunately, in this world of ego and self, it's very easy to do, even in the subtle ways. I was asked to pray for somebody the other day, and I'm, this is straight truth on this. And I happen to know this person's political orientation, which is not in my liking. And I know that they took the vax. And I also know that they've had some emotional harm that they've waged on other people. And I literally had to begin. It was two days before I could pray for him. I'm just going to tell you this. And I begin that by going to Father God and saying, I can't do this prayer. Not because I don't want to, but because my heart is polluted with the ideas of malice and vengeance towards them, which in a dark and subtle way is hardly detectable, because, of, but it's there. I know it's in my heart that I'm actually finding prideful enjoyment of watching them go down and suffer because they did so much damage to other people. And that's where I had to begin that process of work to say, Father, I'm starting here. Forgive me. Because that's not what you've asked me to do. And that's the reminder in Obadiah. And so then as we face this storm that's coming, and we see this massive storm, and like I say, we're doing our normal. And I was doing this again today. I was going through my list of stuff that we need to continue to work on. Preparations never end. And I now have 20-some cattle to my name that I'm responsible for. And we have other issues that come with that and responsibilities to my parents and responsibilities to the house. And, of course, that can weigh heavy very quickly, just like any family member. You can start saying, okay, well, what happens if we don't have this and we don't have that and we don't have this? And it came a point where I just had to stop and just like Habakkuk. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. And that's ultimately where every one of us needs to strive to go to all the time. Because we will do the best we can, but we have to walk with that loving and forgiving heart. Again, I say it every time, that does not alleviate accountability, nor does it take away justice because that's in Father God's position. But we have to master the forgiving and loving heart. Otherwise, we're delivering some sort of opportunistic position, vengeance, whatever, that is not in the rules of kingdom. And that, does not, that is not the same as righteousness. Because there is true wrong and righteousness. But as we enter into these places right now with so many people suffering, and right now, just reading the other day, it's, I think it's down to like, one in four people say they know somebody who's died or been damaged by the vax. That's incredible because I wasn't even close to that two years ago, obviously. We're going to have to sift away that which is evil. That's discernment. And we really have to rely heavily on God's judgment and the direction for that. But as we walk in that world, we have to be honest. And that's like I say, to me, that step when I was asked to pray for somebody, I couldn't do it, not because I refused that request. And God had even God even said to me, are you not going to pray? And I said, Father, I can't right now. 
It's not that I won't. I would be lying to you if I said I could pray with a, with a loving and forgiving heart because I can't. Because this is where my burden is. And I have to take a step back and say, okay, Father, before I can even get to that, here's the deal. And I need your forgiveness for me. I need, I need forgiveness for the way my heart is before I can step in to pray for somebody and pray for them for the blessings that you can bring on heaven from heaven and whatever else is delivered. So as we enter into 2023, I challenge those two things, those two perspectives that I think come together beautifully in a marriage that sets us forward as we walk into this new year. To be honest at all costs to Father God. Not try to do some manipulation or say, yeah, I'll pray. I know I'm not feeling good to it, but be honest where you are. And in being honest, open up that door so that God can step in and you can experience that power in the moment where you can be honest, brutally honest, and in so doing, become greater through him. And let us not seek in any way the opportunistic position that when someone else is having a disastrous moment in their life or they're down, that somehow we take, we gloat in this or find joy in it. Because yes, while they may have made a mistake, especially if we're talking like a vax or something, that ultimate judgment stands before God. Because the one thing that comes through the Obadiah story is he's bringing people back that were, there is definitely justice delivered, but he's also bringing people back together, which tells you something. He loves everybody. And we have a big role in bringing people back to the kingdom, back home. And that other part of that step as we step in with the heaviness of the world, let's remember just the power of what God is to us. No matter what we are faced with, no matter how big that mountain is to climb, no matter if you've done preps to stock yourself up for seven years to live in the bunker to eat your cans of tuna and sleep on a my pillow mattress, or you're you're sleeping in a sleeping bag under a tree or in the weeds. Whatever those extremes are, lean into him. Trust in him above all things and never, ever let go of that. Never doubt him, never question him, because in that sense, it's not that we shouldn't ask questions, but it's don't doubt that he's there with you. Don't doubt and be angry at him, for example, because you're in a position that you don't like. We're growing here, all of us. And he's refining us in amazing ways. I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Let's pray. Father, very humbled tonight as we reflect on our own station in life. And even as I've given my own testimony here tonight, you know very well this conversation that I've had with you. As I sought to pray and found that my heart itself was not in a place to prayer, but was gloating at some deep level on someone else's pain. 
And so as I sought and continue to work through that with you, I just hope that this position, this testimony will open the hearts for others to realize the power that we have in praying with a clear heart versus trying to manipulate our position or try to obscure from you what's deep within our heart. Let us be honest in this year. Above all, let us be honest. Let us speak truth, even if it hurts. Let us be truthful, even if it makes us uncomfortable. And let us bring the truth into the world so that others can hear it, even if they don't like it. And while delivery is one thing, we're not trying to be hostile or hurtful, we have to start assuming that position of understanding that our role is so profound that in those moments we may be the only voice of truth for someone else to hear. So whether, rather than looking at the, their misery, we can provide them with a glimmer of truth that may lead them to Jesus. Another trying to take advantage of them, if we're going to speak truth, we're trying to raise them up into kingdom. And the strength that we have, even when things are down and we have nothing, is another reminder of truth, that our love and trust in you, that we will continue to exalt you and exalt in you and rejoice in you, Father, no matter what the circumstance. Let us be that truthful in this world. Let us let that truth bring forward the best in everybody around us. And let it be an example to those that are struggling, questioning, walking in anger, confused, lost, whatever that is. That we may truly be that rock that they need to witness. That they truly may hear those words that they may not want to hear at all. But somewhere in there, we become that point that reminds them of where they came from and where they have to return to. Guide us in these days. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to close with that last point. Having a conversation about somebody that was deeply within the liberal camp. And their echo chambers are pretty profound. Literally like, walking in this world still that that there's a COVID threat there's other things going on and they're not looking outside those artificial walls or that matrix that was built around them so this conversation I was having with this person and my comment was to this individual the person that's standing inside the matrix will only and only is able to hear you, my friend that I was talking to. And they were like, well, yeah, but they don't like it when I tell them the truth. I'm like, that's too bad for them. But it's a responsibility for you. Because God put us each in a place right now. Each one of us sits in a proper place. And that place may not look like a quarterback's position. That place may not have 100,000 followers on YouTube. 
But wherever that station is, it is a strategic node that God put you there for. And maybe that strategic position is simply to speak truth to somebody that will listen to you that no one else will speak truth to. This fight is massive. And where God has placed us is real and critical. And in a spiritual war, when we talk about an army, sometimes we'd like to visualize these massive walls as front of wall shield, shield walls. Or we like to visualize this long line of people in armor and swords. But in so many ways, that's just an illusion in our own head. Because the real fight is one-on-one wherever you are. And the fight isn't violent many times, most of the time. The fight is a fight of being able to have the courage to speak truth. And it's necessary because you may be the only voice that ends up saving that individual from a very bad choice. And the bad choices are going to continue. And the options to make the bad choices are going to grow even more. So wherever you are, we have this obligation to do as Obadiah did, to speak the truth that nobody wanted to hear. We have the obligation to be honest with God and to come to the understanding as Habakkuk did. That in the end, we will exalt in the Lord. We will rejoice in the God of my salvation and I will obey the principle of truth that he needs me to do, which is to speak that into the world. And in so doing, I will be working well within the authority of kingdom and doing everything I can to ensure that we bring as many home. Never underestimate the power of one. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for a bended knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe.